Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, so we have been going through a series uh, called Make Life Better, not to uh, accidentally confuse the Bible as perhaps some self-help book in which we are then able to solve all of our own problems and kind of pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and be able to make ourselves sufficient or good enough to, to somehow earn heaven. All right, because like as some of those songs were saying, uh, right, we were, we were condemned as sinners, right? We've been guilty of wrongdoing. Uh, if you look around here, no one in here is perfect, uh, but through Jesus, we are forgiven through what he's accomplished and the work he's done. We can attain his righteousness. And uh, so Jesus is truly the one, the only one that can make our lives better. Uh, but then once we've been changed, once we've experienced hope in him, he does still call us to follow him. He calls us to right, obey his commands because we love him. And so that's one of the things that we're going to look at today. Uh, and I guess if I have a, a title for my sermon today, it's going to be You Mad Bro, which is, uh, I guess, like a, a meme from a while back, but I think it's appropriate. Uh, it's, it's about anger, as you might guess. And, uh, and we read back in uh, a couple weeks ago from Psalm 37, and I just want to pull a snippet from there uh, because, hey, if it's something we read, we might as well you know, come revisit some verses and, and see what uh, they speak to us now and kind of reflect on that again. But in, when we were reading Psalm 37 in verse 8, it said this. It says, Stop being angry, turn from your rage, do not lose your temper, it only leads to harm. All right, so when it comes to anger, if you had a goal for your life this year, if you're thinking of like, all right, what things do I need to, to do this year? What things could I add to my life? What are, what are the things that I'm going to be seeking after? Anger is not going to be one of those things that will make your life better. A anger is not an ingredient that you want to add to your life. It's something that you're going to want to find a way to remove from your life in the majority of cases, okay? So this is one of the verses that we had read, but let's take a look at what Jesus said in, in his Sermon on the Mount, and uh, that's kind of what we've been using as our primary text. And Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 5, we, uh, we read last week about this idea that our righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And, and that's supposed to be a tall order. That's supposed to be something that uh, immediately brings concern to our hearts because it's like, wait a minute, how am I going to do that, right? I'm, I'm better than some people, but I'm not going to be better than those people. And uh, the issue is that, that when Jesus kind of makes this claim, he wants to point out our need for a Savior, that the purpose of the law was not the... Uh, the prescription to our problem, it is the diagnostic. It is the thing that identifies our need for a Savior. So when we hear what God's standard is and how far below that we fall, we should then be like, well, what do I do about this, right? And, and Jesus is that solution. And so he kind of continues with that theme as now he talks about murder, all right? So he'll, he'll quote from the Old Testament, and then he'll up the ante. He'll say, listen, this was the intent of the law. This is the spirit of the law. Sin does not simply begin when we speak or when we act. Sin is something that begins in the heart. <coughs> so here he, he goes. He says, uh, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and uh, whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So uh, in case 
that was like your plan this week to kill someone, don't, like, don't murder. Uh, that's probably not a good idea. So like, if, if that's the one thing, like, okay, if you like leave here today and that's the one thing you cross off your to-do list, uh, that's good, all right? So let's start there, like low bar, don't murder, okay? Uh, and he's right back in the Old Testament was then that you'd be liable to judgment. And, and one of the reasons that murder is wrong, right? Obviously God says that is the case, but the, the other reason is that people are made in the image of God, that we are image bearers of our creator, that we were instilled with purpose and value in the way that God made us. So we don't have the authority to take the life of someone else who's been made in God's image. Okay, so, so Jesus quotes from the old law, and then in verse 22, he raises it, or he further communicates it. He says, but I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother, right? You mad, bro, right? Okay. Uh, and, and King James even adds the, the, the phrase without cause, and I think that there's some reason to, to justify that phrase being there, will be liable to judgment. So he's, he's somewhat equating now being angry without cause with your brother as being somewhat on the same level as, as murder, right? So he's saying, okay, like, Right? We were just all judging murderers a minute ago. Like, psh, I would never do that. And then, like, now it's like, oh, wait a minute. Like, wait, Jesus, you just included me in that list. I don't understand. You need to, like, your list building skills are not appropriate. I was in a different column than the murderer just a moment ago. I don't like being in that column. And uh, so then he keeps on going. He repeats the idea in case we don't kind of grasp it. He says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, or the Sanhedrin is what it's talking about there. And whoever says, you fool, all right? So you're like mocking or, you know, out of anger, calling someone a name. Uh, he says, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Wow, right? So, so a moment ago, we were feeling comfortable with our lack of murdering people. And now Jesus is saying, like, listen, that's not what, like, it was all about. That wasn't the only reason that God wrote that law. That wasn't the, the minimum standard to which he's called us to, right? It, it, murder begins in your heart, right? It's out of the heart that we are defiled, he says later on. And, and so, so murder begins in the heart. And he says, listen, like, if you've got these anger issues without cause, right, if you're going after these people that you are doing damage, that you have the same heart as a murderer does, right? And, and that God needs to cure our hearts, that, that with this new covenant that Jesus has given us, that he, that he has brought, that God writes his law on our hearts, that he changes us from the inside out, that spiritually, right, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. He is the one that solves that problem because maybe you've managed to keep your murder problem like under control, like just through like help and, and you know, like you've been able to not murder someone and like you're like, you, you're like going six months and you're like, I'm doing great. Like I've got this, I've solved my murder issue. And, uh, but the issue is that you might in your heart just have all of these issues that are plaguing you. And even though that sin might not be exposed very much to the people around you, you're, you know that it's there. Right? And God knows that it's there, that our hearts are completely exposed to the one whom we must give an account. Right? So we must then recognize this as a problem. 
right? So, so basically he says, right, whoever insults someone, if you're tearing someone down with your words, right, where our words are supposed to be building others up, we're supposed to be offering encouragement, right, speaking the truth in love. But if I'm using my words to destroy someone else, right, whether it's to their face or gossiping about them or slandering them, that, that I'm liable to judgment, the counsel, right? And he, he says this phrase, whoever says uh, you fool, uh, is right going to be liable to the hell of fire? I would suggest that he's he's somewhat indicating tone or motive in this text. I think he's talking about like you know calling someone a fool out of anger versus calling someone out of love away from foolishness are are two different things. And and so I might kind of piece those apart. You can disagree with me, and that's fine. Don't worry. Right? We submit to the word of God, and that's the thing that right is the standard. But it seems as though that's what he's talking about is just kind of like mocking, hating, reviling, right? Using just name calling and all of these things out of this anger as being the source. All right? But we as right believers, when, when we were reading through Proverbs last year, Right? Many times the Proverbs identifies this is foolish behavior and this is wise behavior. And we're not, you know, when I'm reading that, I'm not calling people fools out of anger. Right? I'm challenging my own heart with the word of God to be like, man, Brian, you, you do some foolish things sometimes. Like, let's be wiser. Right? It's out of love that you desire them to come out of it, not out of mocking someone that you would call them a fool. And so Jesus continues with this theme. Right, and out of that, so if you have these anger issues with your brother, in verse 23, he says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, all right, and remember that your brother has something against you. So, so if you came to church today and you're like, Well, sure, like I've got this issue with my brother, or they've got something with me, but I'm the one sitting in church today, so I'm the good person, right? Like Jesus is saying, like, Don't even like waste your time. Like, God knows the burden that you're carrying in your heart, right? Like, God sees the ugliness that is in our human hearts at times, and He's like, Listen, like, don't even bother offering your gift. You're not impressing God. You might be able to momentarily fool the people around you, but that is not worth it. What is worth it is your brother. What is worth it is immediately leave your gift in verse 24, right, before the altar. Just like, don't even waste your time, right? I won't be offended, by the way, if like suddenly like one of you just like gets up and bolts out the door like, I've got to go solve this problem. I got to obey Jesus. He's my Lord. Uh, That's okay. I'll assume... I'll assume you're obeying Jesus, which is good. Uh, But he says, right, first be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, okay? So it's with haste in which we resolve this issue. Don't just like, you know, I'll get to it later. Like our, you know, like this issue's here. I don't want to bring it up right now and make a situation awkward. I'll I'll wait to, you know, I'll I'll talk to him and, and address this situation at a better time, right? Jesus emphasizes the haste at which we find reconciliation with our brothers, the haste at which we resolve these issues. And so he says, right, uh, come to terms quickly with your accuser, even while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So he makes these two points regarding uh, situations in which we have anger or bickering among us. That, right, we've got to resolve this speedily, right, hastily. And if we do not, it's going to cost us something. 
All right, it's not about like I get to hold on to right this issue and I like hold it over someone's head that I might be angry with. It's not like, well, they don't deserve, right, or whatever. I'm the one that will have to pay. I'm the one that pays the penalty. I'm the one that bears that cost. And they might not even know or appreciate the fact that you're mad at them, right? Like they might be completely oblivious to like this anger that you have, right? But you're the one that's paying the price. So when it comes to making life better, anger is not something that's going to make my or your life better. It's going to cost me something. It's, it's subtracting from my life. It is not adding to it. All right? So, so this is what Jesus points out. He ups the end. He says, listen, don't just stand in judgment of murderers, right? We need to judge our own hearts and recognize like, okay, do I have these issues? Right? And, and all of us, because we're human, right, we are going to have moments, even, even within a church family, even within any family, there's going to be issues that come up where we might get upset. But what do we do when we're angry? Right? Don't just assume like, okay, well, I'm angry, so I already failed Jesus' standard, so I guess I just might as well roll with this. Like, I'm just going to double down on my anger. Like, I'm just going to, this is, this is going to be worth it. This is going to be one heck of a ride, right? Like, I can't wait. But, but it's not worth it. He says, no, no, no. Like, if you find yourself in that place, resolve the problem and do it quickly, okay? So let me uh, skip over to James, uh, Jesus' brother, James 3, 7. And in terms of this idea of using our words to attack or to cut or to tear people down, uh, James says this in uh, James 3, 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, uh, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison, right? So our tongues can be used to just tear people down, to bring about poison. He compares it even to like a, a flame that can start a wildfire and just burn down and consume a forest. But notice this in verse nine. This is what I wanted to highlight this. With our tongues, right, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And this is, uh, I believe, one of the only places in the New Testament where it talks about this likeness of God, this image of God, right? Just like I mentioned earlier that one of the reasons murder is wrong is because people are made in the image of God. They are valuable to him, even if I perhaps might judge them not worthy. God does, Right? And I don't get to murder them because they're made in his image. And now James makes this comparison not in the context of murder, but in the context of how we use our words. That one moment we might be singing songs to the Lord, and then another moment we're tearing someone down who is made in God's image. He says the same standard with which we judge murder as wrong because people are upholding right, God's image in just their existence. They were made to glorify God. We shouldn't use our words to destroy or curse or tear someone down because they are also made in God's image, right? So notice how James does that comparison similar to his brother Jesus. And then I guess I'll finish reading 10, 11, and 12. He says, for from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Notice he's writing to brothers, fellow believers. And that's right. Uh, Christians have this problem. All right, it's not like, man, I wish back in the day, like, man, they had it figured out then. Like, the church, it, too bad we can't just get back to our roots, like the early church when they were just all about Jesus. Christians 
had this problem back then. Right, like it's not like we should just stand in judgment of like the modern contemporary church and just be like, oh man, they're full of hypocrites and all this. It's been a problem from the beginning, right? Whether it's with gossip and slander and all of these things, right? We still need to be called out and called to the higher standard that that Jesus would ask us to, right? And and so, so yeah, it's nothing new. And uh, so he says, uh, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce or yield fresh water. So he says, we use our, our tongues, our words to praise God in one moment and to curse and tear someone down made in his image in another. Right? He says, like, this shouldn't be so. Like, it's contradictory within nature to see a tree produce two different kinds of fruit, right? Or, or for a spring to produce two different kinds of water. And he says, listen, like, we've got to solve this problem. Like, this isn't good that we would be like this. So, we do actually have quick little story time, Sunday school style. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story. You can put this picture up on the screen. I'm going to tell three super quick short stories from, uh, actually, yeah, all the Old Testament, all right? I'll, I'll be watching the time. I, I can cut one if I'm running out of time. Don't you worry. Uh, but sometimes, like, we can just, like, hear something from the Bible, like, all right, yeah, don't murder, uh, don't be angry unjustly. Okay, got it. And, and, and sometimes it helps us as kind of a, a story-driven people that when we read someone else's experience, we can then be like, oh, yeah, that wasn't good. Right, like we, we can kind of like process it differently when we emotionally connect to the idea. So, so I want to just read f- stories of, of some actual people in the Bible, okay? Uh, so, so first, you, m- you might be able to guess this. Uh, he's not like, hey, I, I got a rock for you. Did you want a rock? Like he's not, he's not giving a gift uh, here. And, and when, uh, when we read about being angry with brothers, this is the original case. These were the original uh, brothers. Let's check this out in Genesis 4. Uh, and I'm just going to quickly read this story. It says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife. You can figure that out uh, on your own time. Uh, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. And now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. Now notice the, the number of times he knew her and the number of kids it produced. It's possible that these two were even twins. All right, possible. Okay, uh, it doesn't explicitly say. Uh, it says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Right, notice even like similar kind of language at which Jesus was talking about being angry with our brother, right? If you're even, even if you're making an offering, right, and the situation arises, like, right, r- resolve this issue with your brother. So, so Cain brought an offering uh, to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And as a result of this, right, you can imagine Cain has some sort of jealousy form up inside of him. And it says, so Cain was very angry and his face fell, right? Like his countenance has fallen is what it says in the old, uh, older translations. So like you just, you see his, his emotions have shifted, right? Even if we didn't know about his anger, even if he didn't vocalize it, 
you can tell something about him has changed. His, he's no longer going to be as affectionate towards his brother, right? He's now hard against him, right, in terms of his anger. And so it says, so the Lord said to Cain, right? God knows this. God knows the human heart, and God knew it even if his face didn't show it. Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So whether he's talking about, right, the offering, he's like, if, listen, if you're mad about which offering I kind of honored or accepted, like, you can still do the right thing here, right? You don't have to be mad about that. Like, I don't know what, there, there's a whole bunch of different theories as to why the offering was rejected. You can go read those for yourself or investigate it on your own time. But, but the issue is Cain had the opportunity to make it better, right? He didn't have to persistently be jealous of his brother because the offering was accepted, right? God's like, hey, you can do the right thing and then you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And then he says this, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And so, so God recognizes this anger in his heart and it wasn't even necessarily uh, in that moment that sin had borne full fruit, uh, that 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 Cain still had the opportunity to respond correctly to this emotional issue that he had. It didn't necessarily, he didn't fully entertain perhaps the thought or the end result of that anger. And God's like, listen, like you still have a chance to deal with this before it becomes sin. Like sin is, is like a predator coming to devour you and consume you. It's, it's right outside your door. Like you've got to respond correctly fast uh, with this issue. And notice that, that God's heart was not saying, uh, because I'm worried about your brother Abel and what your anger is going to do. He's, he was worried about Cain and what that anger was going to do, right? He was worried about Cain's heart, right? He says that sin is ready to attack you. Its desire is contrary to you. Uh, that in terms of Cain's life, his anger was not making his life better. It was working against him and the goals that he would have for his life. It was contrary to him. It was moving him in the opposite direction that he needed to. So, so perhaps you might be someone who thinks like your anger can, you know, can bring you this sense of satisfaction. Like, no, 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 I do want this. I do want to hold on to this anger. No, it's, it's against you. It's not for you. And, and God actually says this. He says, you must rule over it. Like, you've got to figure this out or you're going to become a slave to your anger, right? It will be ruling you and you not ruling it. And so uh, verse 8, I'll just finish the story. So Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, uh, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And so we see that uh, anger led to murder, and that's how Jesus also makes that connection, um, and that this anger ended up being a burden that, that Cain alone had to bear. Right, that this was something that completely changed his life. The environment around him was now contrary to him because of the choice that he made. 
right? That his anger changed his environment, that his life was no longer going to be as satisfying as it could have, that his, his life was going to be harder, that all of the work that he did would not be as productive because of the choice he made regarding this anger, right? And, and it's almost like God's talking about like the idea of the ground and, and Cain was, you know, this, this farmer and he's saying, listen, you have planted this seed of anger. You have put your brother in the ground and the ground is not gonna produce something good for you from now on. Right? It's not going to be productive for you. You have changed your environment. Right? So it's kind of like this weird idea, but the issue is Cain was the one who paid the penalty for his anger, just like Jesus said, you will pay to the very last penny. All right, let's see. Next quick story. I did that one pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, so put this picture up on the screen. Uh, you guys probably know the story of David and Goliath, right? David uh, frees the Israelites from the oppression of the Philistines. They were likely going to be enslaved by them. And like, you'd probably think like, yeah, man, like all of Israel is probably pumped. Like they, David, this little like teenager just defeated a giant that was opposed to the armies and the people of Israel. And like, this is good news. Like, everyone's going to be thrilled about this, except King Saul, all right, except King Saul. So we're going to read about King Saul here. Yeah, like, I guess, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, like, this idea of people doing artwork about angry people, but I found these online. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Uh, Saul, so here we go. This is in 1 Samuel 18, the, the moment after, all right, David and Goliath. So uh, verse six, as they were coming home, when David uh, returning, returned from striking down the Philistine, the woman came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the woman sang to one another as they celebrated, and they made up a song, right? Saul struck down his thousands, and David ten thousands. All right, so song that now like the king's like, wait a minute, like I'm being like outdone by some teenager, like, and now everyone's singing about him and like the attention is off me and it's on him. So you can see there's an issue. So Saul's heart responds to this in verse eight, right? It says, and Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David 10,000s and to me, they have ascribed thousands and what more can he have but the kingdom? So he's now afraid, like, this guy's going to take my kingdom from me. Everyone in my kingdom loves this guy now more than me. And, and so Saul has this anger, and he holds on to it. It says in verse 9, and Saul eyed David from that day on. And this is, this is so cool. I caught this, and I was, like, pumped about this. It says, the next day. All right, the next day. So Saul has anger, holds on to it, goes to sleep with it, and wakes up, and the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. So, right, in terms of that verb, God permitted, right, basically a demonic spirit to, to attack Saul, right? That, that God's protection was no longer on Saul, and, and God withdrew himself from Saul as a result of this anger that he chose to hold on to, okay? So it says, uh, and so 
Uh, he, he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. So, I don't know, teenagers, you guys know what raves are. I don't think that's what Saul was doing. Like, he was just like having a mosh pit while like David's like jamming out on the lyre. I, I, don't, I don't know, but, uh, but either way. And, and Saul had his spear in his hand and right, just kind of mulling over this anger that he has. Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. Like, that sounds like a good idea. Like, I'm sitting here, here now he's even like, you know, playing music for me or whatever, but I hate this guy. I'm gonna kill him, right? This, this seems like a great choice. And uh, it says, but David evaded him twice. So I don't know if like David's like playing and like, whoa, like, and then like still playing, like he hasn't dismissed me yet. I guess I still have to, like, I, I don't know, like, and then like he does it again. But either way, uh, it says, and for verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So because Saul held on to this anger, right, it's changed his heart. It even brought him to the point of attempted murder. And then he realizes immediately, like, God's at work in this young boy's life, and he's departed me, right? I've chosen this anger over the presence of God. And so Saul removed him, that is David, from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And when he went out uh, and came in before the people, and, uh, and David had success in all of his undertakings for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David for he went out and came in before them regarding leading men into battle. And so, so Saul is angry, he holds on to it for a day, and immediately the presence of God is, is taken from his life. I, now, mind you, we're in the New Testament. I don't think you're necessarily like in a lose your salvation status if you've been angry for more than a day. So don't, don't fear, but respect, nonetheless, the damage at which sin can do us. Uh, and then he, he attempts murder, and then he sees that God's at work in David's life and not his own. Right, so, so it's uh, clearly Saul ends up bearing this, this burden. Saul continues to try to kill David. And, and what's interesting is this piece where it says that Saul eyed David from that day on, that he looked at David differently. And even Saul's own son, Jonathan, is confused with his dad. He's like, listen, like, dad, what, what do you have against David? He is like your most loyal like subject. He has served you faithfully. He goes to war for you. He, he obeys you, right? Like he does all of this stuff. And because of this anger, Saul could no longer see reality correctly. He couldn't appreciate the people around him anymore, right? So if, if you say even in your own household or in a church family, you might no longer be able to appreciate the people who love you and care for you when you choose to hold on to anger against them, right? You might not see or be thankful for or grateful for the things and blessings that God has given you in the people in your life. And you might ascribe to them as being your enemy when in fact God means for them to be a blessing, all right? Let's look at a picture of Jonah up here, last story. And so, uh, so Jonah, we, we actually read through the book of Jonah uh, last year. It was about this time. And uh, Jonah was this reluctant prophet that God called to a people group that Jonah didn't like. 
And these people were unrighteous people. They were murderers and thieves and all of these things. So Jonah is kind of like, no, God, they deserve your judgment. Like, I can't wait to see you just like drop the bombs on their city. They don't deserve your love. And, and so Jonah finally gets to the city. He like preaches the, the least effort sermon ever, like, because God called him to call them to repentance. And he's basically like, hey, like, if you guys don't get your act together in 40 days, God's just going to kill you all. And like, like, literally, like, he wasn't trying to use any tact to like call people to repentance. Like, he didn't even tell them that God was loving. He's just like, yeah, God's mad at you guys. He's going to kill all of you. Like, good luck. And, and God then uses that sermon to bring about like the most massive revival probably in history so far. And like the people are like, whoa, like, yeah, God justly is angry at us. Like we are not good. Like we are doing wrong stuff, like by our own hands, like let's all just repent. And then like Jonah's like, all right, I did my job. And he goes and sits up on the hill overlooking the city. And he's just like, he's just waiting for fireworks. Like he's just like, well, God, like I did my job and I can't wait for you to destroy them. Right? So, uh, and then Jonah is uh, displeased when the people repent. Right? So, so it's interesting how, how God used him. So in Jonah chapter four, it says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry right, that the people repented. I think I've got these verses, I might not. And uh, skipping to verse three, uh, or do I have verse two up there? I might put verse two up there, tell you what, it's such a good verse. All right, and he prayed to the Lord and said, and this is like angry praying to God, just so you're aware. Oh Lord, is, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarsish, right? For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful uh, God, right? You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He's like mad praising God. He's like, I knew that you're so forgiving and loving and abounding in love. Like, and he's like mad at God. And it's just kind of like, like, you can just like, wait, what are you mad about? Like, like, I don't understand. <laughs> and he's mad that God is going to be forgiving towards these people of Nineveh, right? He's mad about this. And then verse three, and uh, it says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. So in terms of like, right, the theme of make your life better, make life better, right? Jonah's so wrapped up in his anger that he's like, you know what would be better? I should just die. That would make my life better right now because I don't even wanna live in a world where God forgives those people. Right, like that, that's just like how angry Jonah was. And then I love God. He's just like, you mad, bro? <laughs> right, he's like, like, do you do well to be angry? Right, like, is this working for you? Like, I don't understand. Like, I'm just watching you stewing on this hill. And like, is that working for you? Like, is this really the life that you wanted? Like, is this making your life better? Like, why are you mad? Like, is it working for you? Right? And, and later on, he even says the same thing. Uh, later on in uh, verse 8 and 9, Jonah wants to die again. Just, God, strike me dead. I'm so angry. And God says to him in verse 9, do you do well to be angry? Right? Because Jonah had this little plant that produced shade for him in the hot sun. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. 
right? Where so Jonah's anger, he no longer perceived reality correctly, right? He no longer could determine what was adding to his life or subtracting from it. And, and he's even like, when God asks the question, he like actually has the guts to like be like, yeah, it's working great for me, God. Thank you. My anger is awesome and I love it and I'm going to die with it, right? Like, and he's just like, this is so worth it. And it just doesn't make sense. Like when we, when we succumb to this, when we hold on to it, it's, it's taking us somewhere where that is subtracting from us. It is destroying us, right? It is devouring us, <coughs> And so I want to I read, uh, close, close this. Let's see, I think I'm going to skip James for sake of time. But Ephesians 4, this is where we'll end. So Ephesians 4, this is Paul writing to the church. Yeah, Christians have problems. Jesus just forgives us. He's great. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I recommend it. Because yeah, we're no better than you are. We just recognize that God loves us. And he loves you too. Uh, but it's, Paul says this. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, all right? For we are members of one another. Like, you are a part of a community. Let your words be such where you're not lying to one another, you're not slandering against one another, right? And then he says this, be angry. The Bible just commanded me to be angry. All right, all right? Be angry and do not sin. There's a way that we can respond to anger that is sinful in a way that might not be, all right? That it's, it's possible at times to be angry about injustice or the things that would grieve the heart of God, and that might be appropriate. But when we're angry about things that we're jealous about or things that we're upset about, like just in terms of like, you know, Saul or Cain or, or Jonah, like that's not helpful. That's our own flesh. That's not being angry about the things that grieve the heart of God. That's us. And notice this, he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Calling back to this idea of Saul, right? Who the very next day had been missing the presence of God in his life and was immediately distressed, right? And give no opportunity to the devil, okay? That when we choose to succumb to anger, when we do uh, respond in sin with it, that we're giving opportunity to the devil. And you might think like, okay, so that's, yeah, maybe I'm not acting like God in the moment and maybe like the enemy's, you know, using this moment for, for his purposes. And that's kind of how we might ascribe that. But, but when he says, and give no opportunity to the devil, think about the story of Cain, that he described sin as this thing that was crouching at the door ready to devour him. And so when he's saying this, don't just be like, well, I'm, you know, angry and I'll, yeah, it gives place to the devil, but I can tolerate an amount of that. That'll be okay. I'm fine with that. But no, no, no. He's, he's talking about that Satan is going to completely attack your life, that this distressing spirit can come upon you as a result of your anger that you are responding wrongly with. So, so we need to not give place to the devil. Right? We need to recognize that anger is something that is subtracting from us and not adding to us. And so, let's see, verse 29, because Paul continues with this. He says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the way that we respond can either give place and glory to the devil 
and grieve the spirit, or we can write, stand our ground against the devil, tearing down strongholds that would dare exalt themselves above the throne of Christ, right? And, and yield to the Holy Spirit who is in us, right? Where we are the temple of God because he dwells inside of us. And he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and, and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, Right? So you've got to deal with this. Get it away from you. Run from it. And then he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so as Rennell's coming back up to, to lead us in worship, perhaps right, you could hang on to our right, anger till the end of the sermon, but then he had to go and bring Jesus into it, right? Like, come on, like, like, I guess I don't have a right to be more angry at people than Jesus had a right and chose to be tenderhearted towards them, right? Like, I guess, like, I, I might think my anger is justified for any number of reasons, but Jesus, who I deserved to have him be angry at me, he chose to be kind to me. He chose to be forgiving towards me. And so that's the standard now to which we are called. Not the low bar of don't murder people, okay? Don't do that. But, right, we are held to the standard that we should go forth responding out of love to obey Jesus and love them to the level that he loved them and to love one another to that level, right? Because God has been tenderhearted towards us, forgiving us. And so, uh, side note, if you, like, solved all of your anger problems today, you still need Jesus, okay? So you still need that forgiveness. So I would encourage you that at the end of the gathering, right, come talk to me, right? Pray, seek God in your own heart, get your own heart right before God, right? Turn from living life your own way. Trust in Jesus for the offering he made for your sin and, and then experience new life, okay? So it, this does no good, like I said, as a self-help book. Right? If you're just like, oh, solve my anger problem, like, no, you still desperately need Jesus. So let's just pray real quick before we go into worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and kindness towards us. We thank you that even though we were your enemies, even though our sin grieves and breaks your heart as we break your laws, God, that you still love us, you pursue us, you forgive us. That, Lord, you even cried out uh, to those who were crucifying you that, you called for forgiveness for them because they didn't know what they were doing. And so, Lord, I pray that you would lead us, even this week, that we would live to that standard, that we would let that light shine forth to this world as we demonstrate the love that you have shown us to them and that we call them into reconciliation, that we, we, we reconcile ourselves with our brothers this week and our sisters, that we would reconcile ourselves to you where our hearts are far from you, and that we would invite those in this world into relationship with you so that they could experience forgiveness and joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.